I'll tell you when it starts recording. <clears throat> In four seconds. All right, we're live now. Welcome to the Listener Leave podcast. This is episode 14. Um, this is today, your host is me, Kamran. Joe couldn't make it. Got a couple guests on. Um, I'll have them give an intro shortly. We're going to be discussing the current events um, in, in, uh, in the Palestinian territories in Israel. Um, and before we do that, I do want to give a quick update on, on the farmers' protests. From what I've seen, continues to be a stalemate. Um, it's been nearly six months. Um, folks are still protesting at the border, but no major developments as far as I know. So with that said, uh, in terms of the, the, the main topic at hand, we're going to be going into what's going on currently in uh, the West Bank, Jerusalem, surrounding areas. Uh, we will at some point also go deeper into some of the history um, and also discuss Palestinian identity uh, and also like inequities uh, and uh, just the state of an apartheid state. Uh, so with that said, I'm going to uh, give a quick intro. We have uh, my childhood friend, uh, Amudi. He is uh, Palestinian, so he'll be given the Palestinian perspective. Uh, and then I also have Professor Harjit Grewal uh, from the University of Calgary. And so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So Amudi, why don't you introduce yourself first? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Ahmad Amudi, uh, uh, my childhood nickname. <laughs> calling me, so that's cool. Um, I'm Palestinian-American. I live here in North America, in America. And um, yeah, most of my family is still in Palestine, still in Jordan. Uh, a lot of people uh, in the Middle East, a lot of family there still. Uh, my grandma lives in, in Palestine and in, uh, in the West Bank. My cousins, my uncles, everybody still over there. We visit um, as much as we can, stay as long as we can, <clears throat> um, hope to return one day. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I appreciate the platform and being able to talk to you guys today. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the gist. I don't want to talk about myself too much. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Harjit. Yeah, hello, and uh, thanks for having me as well. Uh, and, you know, salutations to all the listeners. Um, so I'm, I'm a Working at uh, the University of Calgary, uh, I research uh, religion uh, and I'm interested in philosophy as well. My focus is in Asian religions and um, I particularly focus on um, the Sikh tradition in terms of my research. Uh, so one of the things that I'm particularly interested in and I can kind of hopefully round out the discussion here is questions about uh, secularism and religion, especially after 9-11. Uh, and I also look at uh, questions of uh, violence, uh, dissent, and um, how that kind of works in relation to communities that are from religious minorities uh, and are affected by uh, racialization um, more and more. Uh, and we're kind of seeing, um, I think, some of the flashpoints uh, across the world in terms of these things uh, as well. So really excited to have this conversation and, um, you know, kind of what I was mentioning um, before in our, just our conversation is that I think it's really great to um, have this as a moment of allyship. Um, you know, we're looking forward to hearing from a, a Moody and um, also kind of, you know, encourage people to, you know, learn as much about these issues as you can and, uh, you know, engage uh, with people who are um, working to uh, create a limelight and focus on um, perspectives that may not always get aired, um, given um, various issues with the media that we have and are always struggling with. Awesome. Thank you, Harjeet. So we're going to jump right into things. Amudi, can you give us a, a quick narrative on what's been going on um, in, in May uh, to the Palestinian people? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the beginning of, well, actually mid midway of April was the start of the holy month of Ramadan. Um, and um, Muslims everywhere are trying to uh, reestablish their faith, can reconnect with their faith. It's the the month where the, the Quran was basically sent down to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Um, so Muslims are in the mosques, Muslims are in the houses of worship, <clears throat> worshiping everywhere around the world, North America, Jordan, 
India, Pakistan, Palestine, everywhere. So, so that was no different in Palestine. People were flocking to the mosques. They're flocking to the uh, third most holiest site in Islam, the third most holiest uh, uh, mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, uh, so that drew huge crowds. They, uh, the, the reason why that area is such a flashpoint is that, you know, all three major religions, you know, uh, prize it as its jewel. Uh, the, the, the Jews and some of more far-right extremist Jews believe that the Al-Aqsa compound is actually where the Temple Mount uh, David's temple was built and where it will be rebuilt. Um, so they see, they see it as they, they see it as a, a flashpoint for them. They feel they need to destroy, uh, the, the, the mosque there. So there were protests on both sides, Persians, uh, by right-wing Israeli extremists and, um, by the police there. Um, that's basically what started it off. Um, injuries inside the mosque, flashbangs, grenades inside the mosque where people were uh, worshiping and praying that led to wider protests throughout the West Bank and then a reaction from um, uh, the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Um, that's kind of uh, the first issue. The second issue is the forced eviction of, the, of uh, Muslim and uh, Palestinian residents in um, Sheikh Jarrah, which is in East Jerusalem. The um, proposed capital of the future Palestinian state. So those are the two issues that uh, basically flared up this most recent um, conflict between the Israelis and Palestinians. Okay, and so the, do you know what, um, for, for the for the right-wing uh, <laughs> Israeli Jews that were, that were breaking into the uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Do you know, like, is that, is that like a first time that's happened, or no. why, why, why now? Why May? Why May? Um, well, they were commemorating, uh, I believe, the creation of Israel, and I can't remember. They they celebrate. Uh, their plan is to try to, you know, you could check out the the vice the the most recent vice um, expose about. Uh, about Jerusalem and the current events, that gives a good breakdown, a good 20-minute breakdown, which is pretty fair. Um, they they see it as they want, and they make no qualms about it, they want to change the reality on the ground. They want to make sure that Jews are living in, um, in, this, in these areas. They want to make sure that um, when they can, they forcibly remove um, Christian and Muslim uh, Palestinians from their homes in that area to more uh, to more establish their population in that area. Got it. Okay. Um, and then Harji, did you have any any questions so far? Yes, yeah, so I think um, you know for the listeners out there, um, you know, I mean, just uh, an aside. First of all, um, for the listeners out there who who do want to. Um, you know, listen into that uh, Vice um, video. Uh, it's called "Inside the Battle for Jerusalem," uh, so you can you can go and have a have a look at that. Um, but uh, I think you know, there's there's uh, just to kind of fill in and you know, uh, for some unfamiliarity on on the listener side, um, can you give us uh, some background into um, the significance for Al Aqsa in terms of what it means um, for Muslims, but also what it means specifically for uh, Palestinians uh, symbolically, uh, and and so and again, like what what what's the significance of also um, what actually just happened? I, I kind of want to you know hopefully not pass this by. I think you know we've become so routinized by violence that we often talk about it, um, you know, in in you know unremarkable ways, but. If we focus in on the significance here for um, you know the, the month that this is happening in um, the site itself, uh, the the meaning, the symbolic meaning beyond um, the site itself for Palestinians and their place in in that uh, area, in the geography, and and the actual acts of violence that were happening, I think that'll help us um, you know educate our listeners a little bit. So can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so the significance of uh, Jerusalem is it's supposed to be the capital of 
of the future Palestinian state, East Jerusalem specifically, under the negotiations that were happening in the 90s between the, the Palestinian Authority and the, the state of Israel. Um, and in accordance to international law, that was supposed to be respected. Um, so set, settlements uh, in the West Bank and in Jerusalem um, are actually against international law. Uh, so not, not my law, not Palestinian law, international law, UN. Um, <clears throat> Um, the site itself um, is to, you know, the Al-Aqsa compound is believed to be where the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, ascended into heaven on uh, the, the magical night journey. So you can look that up. Um, that's the, the Islamic significance of it. Um, let's see. Uh, did I hit on your questions there? And then um, as an occupying force, I mean, you... I, I don't know if you come from a law background or maybe it was somebody else, but I know under under your some of your studies, you you understand um, the responsibilities of an occupying force. As as an occupying force uh, under international law, you were you you're supposed to safeguard um, passage of you know religious minorities. You're supposed to safeguard the passage of um, religious rights. You're supposed to respect that. Um, there are certain uh, right, there are certain uh, requirements that come with being an occupying force. Unfortunately, Israel is not abiding by international law or abiding by their um, by their obligations as an occupying force. Um, so, some more the the violence that was happening was uh, tear tear gas, uh, grenades, uh, firing on worshippers, firing on um, Firing on protesters and and worshippers actually inside the mosque, raiding the mosque. Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it became a flashpoint and what and mobilized more of uh, uh, resistance against the state of Israel, which then boiled over to the firing of rockets and um, the bombings that were happening in Gaza. So that was kind of the 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 match that lit the whole thing. Yeah, right. I well, I had one, you know, one question, you know, one common um, counter argument I hear, you know, from the Israeli side is, and I should, I should say like Israeli government side is, well, you know, if they stop lobbying rockets at us from places that are occupied by Palestinian civilians, we wouldn't have to like, you know, there wouldn't be so much collateral damage. Mm -hmm. And um I don't know what to, to make of that because I because clearly there are places that are getting bombed, you know, even outside of the 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 sites where rockets are allegedly being launched. I mean, I, uh, you know, for example, um, I used to work for a really a big consulting company. They're one of the, the biggest in the world, uh, Ernst and Young, and I saw like last like last week on LinkedIn. I was shocked to see this, but uh, basically, Ernst and Young published something on LinkedIn, basically. Uh, expressing their condolences for uh, what's happening in Palestine. And they mentioned that um, their office in Gaza, they had an office there was destroyed by is Israeli rockets. So then they shared an office with a bunch of other multinational corporations. And I was thinking, well, you know, were there rocket launchers, people lobbing rockets from that corporate tower? I don't know. I, 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 well, I doubt it. Yeah. yeah, that that was actually, I think, was the was it the AP was in there as well? Um, I think that's you're talking about the same building. Um, yeah, the AP and a bunch of other uh, foreign uh, journalists were housed in there. They were given a, a brief 30 minute or hour warning that, hey, we're going to bring this place down. Um, uh, and the Israeli authorities alleged that there was, you know, terror, terrorism, uh, terrorists there. I, I don't that that word is is used so loose and and so. It's it's uh, I mean in general you know it's 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 used so loosey goosey these days that it's like I don't know how to take that serious. They were they didn't provide any um, evidence, nor have they provided any evidence to that fact. Um, yeah, it's it was a, it was a tragedy, and the only thing I could think of is that they were trying to um, you know control the narrative, uh, control the news narrative. Uh, they were losing out on that big time. Um, you saw international protests. You call. You saw calls to boycott and divest. Um, and, and this time, it does feel a little bit different. You 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 felt that this time around, people are not afraid to speak up. People are not afraid to you know um, to voice their opinion. 
Um, you know, a lot of people want to make it out to be a, a, a Muslim versus Jewish issue. It's not. Muslims and Jews lived in, in peace and harmony for hundreds and thousands of years. It's, that's actually not a, an issue. Jews actually sought refuge in Muslim lands and have been respected and were allowed to, in Palestine pre-1948, pre-1900s, were allowed to uh, live there, worship there. <clears throat> um, I mean, one of my best friends is, is Jewish. It, a lot of times it's, it's framed as a Jewish versus Muslim issue, and that's just not, uh, just not it. It's framed as a huge, very big, complicated issue. It's not. It's a political issue. Um, you know, there are Muslim uh, Palestinians, there are Christian Palestinians, so that's, it's not an issue of, you know, Muslim versus Jew. I think it's more of a colonial Zionist and, you know, and some of the anti-Semitic stuff that you're seeing online is absolutely atrocious. It's disgusting. And nor does anyone or any, any of us or anyone condone any of that. It's not a, it's not a Jewish thing. It's, I have no problem or issue with Jewish people. Um, I just have an issue. If someone came to take my house, um, whether it be my brother, whether it be my cousin, whether it be my best friend, I'm going to say, hey, man, I have, a right to, I have a right to my own house. You can't kick me out. Um, and that's kind of the issue is that, uh, you know, it's like someone, it's like, it's like me and Harjit um, having a pizza and me um, starting uh, uh, bargaining with him like, okay, well, what are you going to have? You're going to have half the pizza or you're going to have a little bit of the pizza. And while I'm bargaining with him, I'm eating the pizza. It's like, uh, that's not, that's not how it goes. So a lot of times you hear this narrative that we offered the Palestinians this percentage of historic Palestine. Or we offered them this, or we offered them that. But as they're doing that, they're they're flagrantly disobeying international law, building more settlements, making the the reality on the ground unattainable. So this the two state solution, in my opinion, uh, it's it's a great idea. You see all of these, uh, you see all of these other, you, you see all these American presidents say we support a two state solution, we support a two state solution. But the reality on the ground is that 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 cannot happen when there's such a flagrant violation of international law. So sorry for going off there, but I, I, I rant a lot. No, that's, that's fine. I, I figured since you were kind of talking about like settlements and two-state solution, I, I, this podcast does have a video aspect to it. So I'll share my screen real quick just to kind of show um, a map of, of okay. uh, a Palestine. So can, can folks see my screen? Can you, can you, oh, give me a second. I'm trying to get I can't see it right now, no. Give me a second. Can you see it now? No, no, I can't. Nope. What the hell? I'm going to try this one more time. Blah, blah, blah. Bear with me. Is it because your camera's off, maybe? I don't know. Let's try this. Uh, is it not working? No, I don't see it. Give me a, give me one. I'm gonna try one more time. Software is so complicated. <laughs> okay. How about now? No, nothing. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of talk, try to talk through like um, the map since I can't, you can't see my screen. Uh, so essentially, like if you um, look at uh, Palestinian land between like 1917 and, and modern, like in 2020, um, it's basically, you know, from 1917 to 1948, it shrunk by about like, I'm kind of eyeballing it by about 70%. Um, so, you know, 1948 was the bit was the the big uh, partitioning. And then 1967, um, Israel took on more land. Uh, and then kind of progressively ever since then, the remaining land, which is now, you know, Gaza Strip and West Bank has been has been constricting over time, um, by creating Israeli settlements within like, you know, West Bank, um, and Gaza, and, and and it just keeps getting s smaller and smaller. And you you can you can just if listeners could just Google like go go and Google and look up Palestinian land loss, and and you'll be able to see that over time. 
And um, one thing I wanted to highlight is just the 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 geo the geography of the area. So Israel is kind of surrounded by many uh, neighboring Arab nations. So to to the uh, east of um, Israel, most notably is Egypt, and to the to the west of Israel, most notably is uh, Jordan. And so one of the one of the implications of this reduction of land is Palestinian territories have been constrained to two regions that are not connected. They're separated by a large, uh, vast uh, swath of land. So one region is Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is right next to Egypt. So it's kind of a sandwich in between Egypt and then Israeli territories. Um, and that's on the the east. The west. That'd be the western west side. side. The west, yeah. And then the West Bank, which is much larger than Gaza Strip, um, is on is on the west, uh, sorry, the east side of uh, uh, of Israel. So that's that's bordering Jordan. So that's kind of the ge the geographical kind of uh, layout. That I just want to add. That did you have any uh, questions, Harjit? Yeah. So I think I think it's important to kind of mark that for everyone. So yeah, like the it's closer to so it's on on the Mediterranean side where Gaza Strip is. And, um, you know, the, the West Bank, um, though it sounds like it's on the beach, um, <laughs> is actually adjacent to Jordan um, on, on the east side. And um, maybe we could get a better sense of this. You know, you, you were kind of talking about um, being in the region, Amudi. So, like, um, what can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like to move um, through these different regions and trying to get anywhere and also just in the sense of like you know so so we if we look in specifically on the gaza strip um you know can you give us a sense of how big or small this is um vis-a-vis -vis the, the other areas and what that means in terms of the shrinking space uh that uh, kamran was talking about yeah, absolutely. So Gaza, the Gaza Strip is actually considered the, one of the most, it is the most densely populated places on Earth, any more densely populated than any major city in China or whatnot. I think it's, um, the total size is maybe 30 square miles, maybe. Um, and the, the, the issue with, um, issue with Gaza, well, it's 140 miles. So it's 140 miles square. Yeah. Um, that's with the 2 million, 2 million, uh, people living in that area. Um, so basically the Gaza Strip is, uh, ever since, uh, the, the people voted for the wrong, uh, group, uh, you know, I think it was, was it back in 20, 2007, maybe 2007, the Palestinians had elections and, um, democracy, I guess only works when you choose the, the people that, uh, that only works when you choose the, who they want you to choose. Uh, they chose the wrong group, um, and then a landlock um, uh, was started to happen. Um, uh, it's you know it's an open air prison essentially. Um, there's no flights, no no flights in and out. Uh, they control the sea, so you can't go more than uh, a mile or two out into the Mediterranean, like you were saying. Um, um, it's completely landlocked with, e it's, it's completely cut off. Uh, the border is cut off with Egypt and Israel. Nothing comes in, nothing comes out. Extremely, extremely hard to get out of there. Um, my cousin lives, actually, one of my cousins is married to someone from Gaza and she can't co go see her family. She can't see her, her uh, brothers or sisters. She can't see her mom or dad. Um, so the West Bank and Gaza are, are completely cut off. There's no traveling to or from. Um, in the West Bank, it's carved up um, essentially by an apartheid system, which has one roads for uh, for Palestinians and one roads for Israeli citizens. There's two different license plates. There are checkpoints that uh, military checkpoints that the Palestinians have to go through, um, and these could be closed at any time. They could be, um, you know, it really just depends on the uh, soldier's uh, mood of the day. If they don't want you to go through or don't want you to pass, you can't do that. Um, there's basically a differing set of laws for Israelis and, and Palestinians. Um, so that's kind of the reality on the ground there. Extremely hard to move around, extremely hard to get anything done. Um, 
you know, it, it just might, it's just a logistical nightmare. If you're trying to run a business or trying to go to school or trying to go to the university, that's a one checkpoint over one city over that should take you, you know, just, you know, 10, 15 minutes to drive to, but there happens to be a checkpoint there. So then you're going to be late for your classes, late for everything. It's a, it's a logistical nightmare. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the gist of, um, of the reality on the ground as far as, um, um, the area, the differing areas. Yeah. So I think, I think just, just to kind of circle back a bit there. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it was actually the, the, the 2006, uh, elections, um, mm. where, where, uh, Hamas, uh, won the majority. Uh, so that, that kind of shows, um, I think what, you know, we were kind of chatting about a little bit before, um, the podcast started is that, you know, often in, in the Western press, you get this sense of, um, this kind of, uh, that there's like a flat line, um, in terms of what Palestinians are talking about, that there's no disagreement amongst Palestinians, but you know, the fact that with, um, the opposing party Fatah, um, mm -hmm. was, you know, not able to get the majority. And like you were saying, there's, there's questions of politics, there's questions of identity and that there's, there's diversity in all these groups. And again, um, we're not trying to privilege one, uh, group over the other we're actually trying right. to talk about how this is a very complicated situation here mm -hmm. um so that was on the one side there with the gaza and then you can see i think again i, I you know I, I think it's really hard um you know being in canada and the united states especially to try to imagine um the inability to move that you were just describing and i think it's hard to get a real sense of you know these checkpoints being in your way um, of an education, in your way of uh, employment, in, in the way of, um, again, you know, maybe getting to a store you want to go to, um, where, where these are, you know, one level of how um, mobility is policed, but also, um, like you were saying, um, and this is kind of being spoken about more and more, is this type of apartheid um, state that's kind of developed um, and, and how, you know, again, for those who maybe are younger or didn't, didn't grow up with um, the South African example, um, you know, apartheid is a form of governing people where there's two um, systems and it's based on racial difference, um, allowing people access or not having access um, based on um, understandings of difference, whether it be racial, religious or other things. Um, so this is um, increasingly being talked about in, in the Israeli example, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, the other thing you can think about in terms of examples are uh, the American system of segregation, right? Um, so I think it's interesting how um, that isn't um, being used as an example, even though arguably um, the distinction and the division based on race is equally apparent there um and you know arguably um i think the context of the american example um may be equally considered in terms of how we describe the state of separation um so do you have any do you have any uh, ideas uh, or thoughts about that guys like um why do you think it is that um the example of apartheid um and you know this could simply be what we were talking about earlier in terms of, um, you know, how in decolonization the process was to arbitrarily create um, borders around things that don't um, naturally kind of sit well on the ground, um, whereas the American example might be a little bit different. But um, nonetheless, I think the way it's administered, um, you know, the, the violence um, in both apartheid systems and in segregation systems is is comparable and, and can be kind of discussed. So you have any thoughts about that, guys? Come on. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just, I, I definitely see the, I do view it as a apartheid state, but I, one thought that came to mind is um, Americans and Canadians for the last year have been a lot of many of them have been very un unable to um, uh, want to wear a mask. Like many have seen it as an infringement on their, on their freedom. And that's been just wearing the act of being forced to wear a mask has been so um, 
infuriating for some North Americans. And so that, like, we can't even, I can't even imagine, you know, fathom what it's like to actually be uh, getting so many more freedoms taken away from me, you know, as, as a Palestinian. You know, it's, it's, I'm just trying to, like, draw that parallel. Like, it's hard for people here to wear a mask, but it, for, for Palestinians, they, they, everything about their lives are controlled. Like, where they go, who they can see, who they cannot see, um, what resources are available to them, what resources are not. And um, I did want to kind of tie back to, we're talking about this inequity, and um, I think part of that was manifested, you know, in, in with the, the right-wing Israelis that were breaking into Al-Aqsa, from what I understand, was largely, like, not they were able to do with basically no resistance from like the Israeli government, so there was like no even protection um, for for Palestinians there, which to me means like they don't have access to the same defense resources as as Israelis in that example. So I mean that I I'm kind of rambling, but that's essentially uh, my thoughts. That's what came to mind, yeah. Moody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's it's tough. I mean, there's a, a... right a narrative on the ground that's like we want we want peace it's like that's not what a a respectful peaceful um counterpart would go to with the with you know in negotiation like they're saying one thing we want peace we want a two-state solution we want this as your capital but then on the flip side it's you, you are you know the state sponsored um you know forcible forcible you know evictions and then, you know, Palestinians have had to to deal with so many different, differing, changing rule books over the last hundred years. There was the Ottoman Empire, then the, then the Brits, then, the, then, you know, Jordanian rule, Israeli rule. So it's like, oh, I'm sorry, your house wasn't built with a permit. We need to, we need to demolish that. It. It's like, uh, okay, what permitting process are we going under? This house is, was built back in the in the 50s before Israel had control of, you know, Jerusalem or this house was built, uh, you know, or in this in this time period. So um, the, the, it's, it's tough, man. I mean, it's uh, the reality on the ground is that it's a dire situation and that a ceasefire, you know, I'm happy that a ceasefire happened and that um, rockets aren't sh are not being shot uh, into Israel. And I'm happy that Israel is not uh, carpet bombing Gaza, but uh, the reality on the ground is that, the, you know, the Gaza Strip still has a siege under under it. Um, Palestinians in, in the West Bank are still living under an occupation. They're still living under uh, in a military occupation that restricts their movements, restricts their, their businesses, restricts their water use, restricts everything. So... Um, yeah, it's not look. It's not looking good. Um, but the one sort of hopeful thing that I'm seeing is that more and more people are talking about it on social media. More and more people are bringing awareness to it. Uh, just like you know the 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 farming issue in India, the farmers' protests. You know, social media was able to bring it out. Uh, you know, me living in in North America and not, not having any sort of uh knowledge of you know what was going on through the last few decades of you know indian farmers rights now because of social media because of you know documentaries and whatnot i'm, I'm looking and i'm seeing you know what's happening with you know just an example of just what's happening to indian farmers their loss of land their loss of resources the amount of suicide that's happening and and that's kind of the you know people are people have uh, power of the narrative, you know, people are able to, you know, voice their opinion, share their, their opinions, um, hopefully vote with their dollars and say, you know, this company supports this seed, this seed company supports this, which is bad for Indian farmers. So we're not going to support that company or this company does business in the occupied West Bank and, um, and has connections to, you know, the Israeli army or the has connections to right wing extreme extremism, we're not going to deal with that company. So um, that's what, you know, uh, forces change. That's what a uh, force change in South Africa and hopefully what will force change in uh, Palestine and Israel. Yeah, I mean, just just a shameless plug here. You mentioned documentaries. So <laughs> um, there there is a great documentary, award winning documentary called Where Should the Birds Fly? Mm. Uh, the Humanity and Spirit of Gaza. So um, again, if you guys want to check that out, our, our listenership um, director is Fedak Kishta. Um, it talks about an earlier um, 
kind of high point in the violence and as kind of looking at it from a documentary filmmaking perspective. Uh, so again, it kind of gives you a place to kind of situate yourself. Uh, if, if we can kind of um, maybe, we, we've been kind of talking around um, some of these things, but maybe we can wade into um, the other thing we've been hearing about on the news. And again, Moody, if you can um, give us a sense of this, but uh, the, the one of the other flashpoints, and again, this is this is kind of within the context of Jerusalem itself, uh, the Sheikh Jarrah uh, neighborhood. Um, and so one of the things, again, if, if um, you look at this, um, this is, uh, you know, closer to the West Bank, and yet we're seeing the violence in Gaza, right? <laughs> so, um, so if you can kind of connect some of those aspects for us, um, let us let listenership maybe know a little bit about um, what's going on in Sheikh Jarrah. This is a neighborhood in East Jerusalem, as I understand it, mm-hmm. and from what you were saying, so that that kind of is, as per international law, um, the capital. Um, for the Palestinian people, right? Yeah. And and this is a neighborhood within that. So maybe walk us through that. And I, I you know, the, the one thing that I just kind of see as heartbreaking, um, and again, it reminds me of some of the concerns that were voiced with the um, farmers' protests in the beginning and questions of land usurpation. But um, there's that one video that I think has been really viral with that um, lady saying, you know, you're stealing our land. Mm-hmm. And and the gentleman on the other side is saying, if it's not me, if I don't steal it, someone else will steal it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a really um, evocative exchange about the hard reality um, that's been opened up. And, and maybe that's a legal reality. I and mean, you can talk about that. But in the sense of like, it sounds like it's a um, free for all in terms of taking it. If someone doesn't take it, someone else will take it. That, that response to me, um, you know, it, it really kind of hits home in a strong way. Um, so maybe you can let us know, um, maybe you start with Sheikh Jarrah and then walk us through um, what's going on there. We can kind of get a sense of what's going on there. And again, that again, for our, our listeners who might not be aware of the region, Gaza is not in this direct vicinity. It's not um, located, whereas West Bank is, right? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Jerusalem, uh, East Jerusalem is supposed to be the capital of the future Palestinian state. And Sheikh Jarrah is a, a neighborhood in, in East Jerusalem. Um, uh, and uh, what what settlers are hoping to do is to change right-wing Israeli Jewish settlers what they're hoping to do is change the reality on the ground they're trying to make Jerusalem essentially more Jewish they're trying to uh, forcibly remove and with the help of the government um, uh, the government stating that a these uh, these uh, these constructions that were that are in East Jerusalem um, you guys have to leave because it was done without permits um, it was built, you know, these, this house was built without a permit in the fifties or whatnot. Um, you could watch the, the vice doc, the vice documentary. Uh, I believe you, you spoke about it earlier, the vice documentary, um, the battle for inside Jerusalem or, or whatnot. Um, it was just, uh, recently put out and that will give you a, a good context of what's happening in Jerusalem. But what is happening is that, uh, you know, the Israeli courts are saying, oh, sorry, you can't live here. You need to be forcibly evicted. When that happens, a Jewish family then comes in and and is able to take that uh, take that house, uh, permit it or or even not, and and live there. Um, yeah. Um, so they're trying to change the reality on the ground. Um, you know, the uh, Palestinians have filed appeals in the Israeli court. Unfortunately, they're they're not given even translators. They're not given. Um, the success rate's less than one percent in in that court. Um, they're not afford, afforded the same rights. Um, so that's kind of the gist. Uh, the the uh, the Palestinians in 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 Gaza, where where this conflict sort of escalated, um, was um, they had two demands. One and two de- two simple demands for the ceasefire which was rejected initially by the israelis one was to stop the evictions of um, palestinians in east jerusalem and then two stop firing on protest stop firing on worshipers inside the mosque and leave the mosque um, the israelis didn't want to abide by that but i think they bowed to international pressure after seeing the outcry and the, the support for basically the palestinians um, so that was those. Those were two of the um, two of the uh, 
uh, requirements for a ceasefire. Um, don't yet to see what happened. Uh, even after the ceasefire, there was Israeli uh, police still in the compound and and the Al Aqsa compound in Jerusalem, so uh, that really was not respected. Um, but uh, that's where kind of the conflict started to widen. You started to see, uh, you know, the flashpoint in Jerusalem, which caused the uh, the reaction from groups, from armed groups inside Gaza. So we have, I think, about like 10, 10 minutes. Um, I think we've been able to talk about, we have 10, 10 minutes left, and we've been able to talk about, you know, the, the break into Alexa. We've been able to um, talk about Sheikh Sarah briefly. And I mean, I wanted to spend it the last bit roping this all into like the bigger picture, you know, let's, let's talk about how does this relate to, to, to Nakba because, uh, which is in Arabic, it translates to, I think, c catastrophe, right? And what do you can correct yeah. me? Yeah. And I think it, it pretty strongly resembles in many ways, the, the, the partitioning, uh, uh, of Indian Pakistan, and for many reasons. One, it was done by the same people mm -hmm. the same year for similar for similar reasons because the British Empire was essentially like contracting at that point. Um, but you know, and and in 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 this ex in this example, you know, the the people who lost the most were the Palestinian people. Um, you know, I think Britain and Israel were like, well, you know, why don't why doesn't a neighboring country take in these Palestinians so that you know we can have our Jewish stay? And and and, and many of them did have to leave. You know, they went to places like Jordan, some went to, to Lebanon, and 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 um, they they don't live as first class citizens in the in those countries. You know, no. uh, but the ones that did stay in stay in uh stay in Israel, they they we're still seeing the uh, remnants of that today. So I I want it to be super clear for people. That are just learning about this in May. This is not a new problem. This has been, <laughs> this has been an ongoing problem for you know seventy plus years. And I want to like Moody, can you give, give a quick like historical narrative and how it ties back into the future of uh, Palestinians? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, the Br the British uh, in nineteen seventeen, uh, you know, established something called the Balfour Declaration, which said that the British, uh, the British um, government would uh, strive for the creation of a Jewish state. Um, you know, rich British elites uh, strived for that. Um, uh, after which, you know, we had World War One, World War Two, the horrible, the horrible situation that happened to the Jewish people um, with Nazi Germany, you know, and the rise of Zionism in the early 1900s. And, and, you know, um, they, they thought that, Hey, we need, we need to, we need to make sure that this never happens again. We need to make sure we have our, our, our own homeland that unfortunately came at the expense of, uh, the Palestinians, which, uh, and the, the Arabs living on the ground, which were, um, which, you know, there was Jewish and, uh, Jewish uh, folks living in Palestine pre-1948, um, um, you saw more and more immigration happening, and then you know um, the the whole the whole Nakba in 1948, which saw the changing of the reality on the ground, which saw ethnic cleansing, which saw which saw villages that were totally wiped off the map and were renamed, um, uh, renamed um, and, and uh, recolonized with the different folks. Um, that was the, the sort of the history. Um, and then the 1967 war, which saw Israel take over the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Um, and then um, a series of uh, peace negotiations that haven't been very fruitful for either side. Um, um, so that's kind of where we sit today. That's kind of the, the reality on the ground. Um, yeah, people want to make it out to be a huge historical uh, conflict that's you know been around for hundreds of years. It's it's a more it's a more recent political uh, conflict um, that you know Jews have been have been living in the Middle East for hundreds of years with no issue or problem. Um, it's only after the creation of the state of Israel where there has been uh, flare-ups and whatnot. Okay. Harjit, did you have any? Thank you, Moody. Did you have any last questions, Harjit? Well, yeah, I think I mean just more, more, rather than question, just kind of you know just um, you know discussion and comment in sense of like, yes, you know, so I, I um you know, I, I 
teach uh, in, in a world literature class on um, both partition and um, Nakba because of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of literature around um, both of these things to kind of highlight some of the reality. And I think it's interesting that, you know, there, even in the sense of like, you know, the memory that are so that's associated with these things, uh, you know, like uh, with the word itself, like you were saying, Kamran, in the idea of like a catastrophe, uh, a disaster, a calamity, something like that. Um, whereas, you know, you know, even for me personally, like, you know, we had my, my grandmother uh, on my dad's side walked across um, from, you know, what today is Pakistan, Punjab to uh, what today is Indian Punjab. And um, you know, so I grew up hearing about uh, the kind of really um, stark kind of violence and inhumanity that uh, happened because of that. And yet in, in, in Punjabi, most often it's simply just um, called vand or uh, simply the division or partition, like literally that's all it, all it means. Um, but I think you have, you know, the longstanding issue is more vibrantly communicated in the word itself in the sense of, you know, here over the course of roughly a year in the Palestinian case, um, you have, you know, close to uh, a million, around 700,000 to a million people um, moving. And uh, in the, in, in the Indian side of it, uh, it's a little bit more um, condensed in terms of the migration. It's thought to be one of the most quick um, mass migrations in history where in a week you have around a million, a million plus kind of people moving um, across that um, newly created border. Um, and I think what, you know, again, like, I don't want to sound like a, a broken um, record, but I, I really feel like these are things that are hard um, to cognize at an everyday sense in this, you know, there was, there's a, uh, author in uh, who wrote in Urdu um, who talked about the partition and very beautifully expressed that um, you know people who lived there didn't understand what this stuff was about because your your home like Amudi was saying um, is literally being divided like what you call Punjab is now parts of two countries, one in which you're told you belong and the other you don't. Um, then on the other side, if we look at um, Nakba, um, you know, I think it's even more of a quandary in the sense of now you belong where, right? Um, you know, like you, you were saying, there's, there's attempts to migrate to other, other countries um, and there's, you know, again, this other class of citizenship that exists there. Um, so I think, again, you find, you know, similarities there with the sick case in terms of what is citizenship, what is migration? Uh, you know, we were talking about coming to the States or Canada in the beginning of the conversation. And, uh, you know, we, we often, again, don't think too much about it, but the, the inability, uh, the inhospitality, inhospitability in our homes uh, is also the reason why we're in different countries, uh, even if it's the United States or Canada. So, um, yeah, I just I just feel like there's you know maybe more of a open ended um, conversation to have in in this regard as well. But also, again, like I think it's great to um, highlight the fact that here you have seventy years ago, a moment of intense mobility. People are you know, I'm having to flee. And we were just talking about how difficult it is to move in that very same land, um, depending on your subjectivity or how you identify, or what types of passports you carry and things like that. So uh, just an immense amount of change um, outside of even uh, some of the more kind of uh, phys physical kind of ideas of violence. But this the kind of, if you try to think about how this is a lived reality, I think it really kind of squares in a different way in the sense of, how do you come to terms with this being something you're uh, inside of mentally as well as, um, you know, bodily and, and how you're moving through these spaces? 
um, it, it's really kind of uh, a cause for, I think, more conversation. And, and it's great to see that people are uh, turning to uh, this debate again. You know, I grew up a little bit, I'm a bit older than you guys. <laughs> so I remember, um, you know, this being an issue, uh, an issue in my childhood. And I remember looking at, you know, the images um, that strike me, uh, there's that one image uh, with the lone protester in Tiananmen Square. Mm. And uh, the other image are the images of um, children throwing rocks against tanks uh, in, in the Palestinian situation. So um, in, if you put it in today's context, now we're looking at um, you know, people worshipping, uh, people trying to protest in nonviolent ways and um, facing a different circumstance of violence, um, you know, tear gas, rubber bullets, um, physical violence from um, police and, uh, you know, citizen citizens as well. So um, these are things to be concerned about, not in the specific um, sense. Um, obviously, there's a context to these things, but um, we're seeing this again everywhere. Um, you know, Hong Kong is a point of concern. Uh, we've been talking about India. Uh, we've been talking about uh, and, you know, maybe this is another place where we can have this conversation, but even the growing um, anti-Asian, um, and, and obviously there's been many, many years of anti-Muslim sentiment in, in our neck of the woods in North America, uh, as well as UK. So I was just wanting to end on a point that I was participating in a conference along these lines a few weeks back, and one of the more senior scholars mentioned that, you know, decolonization is actually um, still with us. Like, we are still working through um, these issues. And I think you know, some of the comments you guys have made uh, reminded me of that in the sense of um, you don't just um, put lines on a map and assume there's no consequences. And so I, I think you know, as you were saying, the British Empire was shrinking. Uh, what we saw was a whole bunch of other issues um, come up. And those are still very much um, issues we're dealing with in terms of, um, again, like, you know, you mentioned with the Ottoman Empire and other things, we often desire freedom. And there's many people in the world who have yet to experience that. Um, and so I think it's good to recognize that and kind of help out um, people raise the voice for that desire for freedom and, and finding ways to, you know, end um, these cycles of violence, right? So that we can all kind of experience um, some of the benefits of uh, what what um, peaceful, um, you know, free societies can be like, right? So I, I hopefully people um, will will kind of uh, again rally around this and and look at it, dig into it, try to understand the multifaceted, um, you know, problem that we have. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for that, and thank you for. Um lending your scholarly ideas to me and cam you know and uh, and to just uh being a voice and educating people and um i i just want to say thank you to both of you i i don't feel like i have any business talking on the subject sometimes but i appreciate you guys uh giving me a voice giving my people a voice and uh your guys' allyship i i you know i really appreciate it no problem man this is a thank awesome you. discussion um Appreciate both your times. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anytime. I'm gonna go ahead and yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and stop recording. Yeah. Great.